Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The World Health Organization is warning that that total could double within a year unless countries work together to halt the spread. Even as thousands in Canada and around the world are protesting COVID-19 restrictions, such as regulations requiring masks, public health authorities are warning that such restrictions are vital to stem a second wave of transmissions. Indeed, the World Health Organization warned that the global death total could double to 2 million before a vaccine is widely available. Global leaders, including Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, have been telling the United Nations over the last week that global cooperation to develop and distribute a vaccine is vital. In Canada, the Trudeau government has put a bill before Parliament which calls for spending more than $4.5 billion on vaccine research and development between now and the end of this year. MPs will begin debating that bill Monday. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. So that's a sobering number, 1 million uh, internationally, globally, within the next few days from COVID-19. Let's talk about that, and let's talk about the developments concerning the uh, the virus, the coronavirus. And uh, back with us is our good friend, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases specialist, Toronto General Hospital, and professor at the University of Toronto. Uh, Dr. Bogosh, when you hear that number, that I, mean, I suppose you're not surprised by this information. You've seen it coming. But in real terms, what does it say to where we are now? Yeah, we're really in the throes of it. I mean, we are in the really in the midst of a global pandemic, and without a vaccine, there is no end in sight. Unfortunately, I don't want to be Captain Doom and Gloom. I'm not here to be Doom and Gloom, but that's that's just where we're at. We it's, there's tons and tons of infection raging worldwide. Places that were previously doing well, for example, many parts of Western Europe are not doing well now, and uh, we. <laughs> We've got to we've got to rein it in and until we get a vaccine. We really have to rein in our behavior to keep uh, rates of transmission as low as possible. So a major development on the search for a vaccine is uh, is underway. And uh, the first coronavirus vaccine that aims to protect people with a single shot has entered the final stages of testing in the United States in an international trial that will recruit up to 60,000 participants. I'm reading from The Washington Post. What is that? How how optimistic is that? Oh, I'm 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 very optimistic, and it's not. I'm trying not to be blinded by optimism here, and and just really wanting to focus on any shred of good news and latch onto that. But really, when we look at the, what's in the vaccine pipeline, it's pretty exciting stuff. There are you know dozens and dozens of vaccines that are already in human clinical trials, many of which are in the advanced or final phases of human clinical trials and over 160 others that are in the pipeline before they get into human clinical trials. We're gonna have a vaccine. We're gonna have, we're, there's gonna be a vaccine one way or another. Now, it's hopefully gonna be on the sooner end of the spectrum. It's possible that there may even be a vaccine somewhere deployed in the world in the 2020 calendar year. That is certainly possible. Um, we also know many of these aren't gonna work out, but because there's so many sticks in the fire, taking many different approaches, and with such successes to date, there's going to be a few successful ones for sure. When you hear the news that U.S. researchers are suggesting that up to 16,000 deaths from coronavirus are possible in this country by January, that surprise you? I look at that, and, you know, the modeling is interesting in that it, it's, it's, it's tough to make longer-term forecasts. 
And I think that model might have been a bit overly simplistic. It's certainly not impossible, but it, you know, does it really take into account some of the measures that we've taken to help protect our most vulnerable populations? Look, if this virus makes its way back into the long-term care facilities and we have the same levels of, you know, horrendous devastation that it had in the long-term care facilities, yeah, I mean, we, we, we theoretically could see that, but usually it gives a high-end, a medium end and a low end based on how we act over the next few weeks and few months ahead. I would hope that we've learned some lessons from the first uh, first wave that we could still apply now to prevent that level of destruction. Now, clearly, we're seeing a real rise in cases, but you know, can we at least help mitigate the the, the death and the hospitalizations that goes along with those cases? I, I, honestly, I don't know. I really don't know. We're starting to see a rise in hospitalizations, so. It's you know that old line. It's never too late to turn around when you're going down the wrong path. So I I hope we can turn it around pretty quick. We have the Public Health Agency of Canada telling us 56.5 percent of new coronavirus infections are among those under the age of 50, with 20 to 39 demo the largest still, and that's the group that's returning to work. um, I would suspect so. That's that's a big change over what we saw early on. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem. It's, it, uh, it certainly is a problem. There's also a big cohort in their 20s who are still getting infected. And we know, in general, the younger people are, the less likely they are to have severe infection. But we also know that this is so contagious that it doesn't stay within a particular age group or a particular geographic location for long. People move and people mingle. And, and what we do know is that lessons learned from Canada, but also lessons learned from many other parts of the world, recently Florida, France, Spain, Germany, whenever we start to see these younger age groups pre- uh, preferentially impacted, you just wait a few weeks before you start to see it meld into the older age groups. And then you wait a few more weeks and then you start to see a rise in hospitalizations. And then you wait a few more weeks and you start to see a rise in deaths. That's been seen time and time again globally. That's what's starting to happen here in Canada, unfortunately. So I, I am concerned. I think we, we really need to, really, you know, we've seen some big policy changes in BC, Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec uh, over the last few weeks. And, and hopefully this can really stem the, the growth of this infection. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Bogosh, is, is this virus behaving in an abnormal manner? You know, we hear that stroke can be the first sign of COVID-19 in younger people. That from the University of Western Ontario. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think, but I mean, obviously, like we've got to be humble. We have a lot of unanswered questions, but still, eight months in, we know a lot more than we did before. I'm pretty. It's pretty fair to say that we know what the clinical manifestations are: the more severe ones, the more rare ones, the more likely ones. We also know a lot more about how it's transmitted, and and we can use that knowledge to really improve medical care for people that are sick. We can also use that in in driving policy to help prevent people from getting infected. So there's been a ton of research. Now, of course, we don't have all the answers. We still need vaccines. We still need better treatments. We still need better, more rapid diagnostics. Uh, So there's certainly room to improve and lots of unanswered questions. But I think there's fewer and fewer surprises now. So I have 30 seconds on this one I should have asked first. Do you think the return to school has been handled properly across Canada? Oh, my God. You only gave me 30 seconds for that? I know. I did that to you last time, too. We could talk for an hour. Some places are doing better than others. Some policies are stronger than others. 
it was it came to no one's surprise that cases were introduced into schools because that's going to be reflective of cases in the community. The key here is, can you prevent transmission within the school? Can you prevent transmission within the school? We're seeing outbreaks in some schools in Quebec, for example. There's a pretty big one, 25 people. Others are still holding strong. I think it's too soon to tell. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.